heard of a, I, I am a, I love movies. I'm not like I just don't watch movies. I, but I actually have I, never heard of that. I figure you're a movie guy. Yeah, I am. Well, at least you've I try ne- to be. You've never heard of The Shape of Water. <laughs> I feel like being a movie guy is like all you're always like chasing that title, like having to watch more movies. <laughs> like I'm a movie guy. <laughs> but I think there's certain we're gonna circle back to Shape of Water. But uh, <laughs> there's a. Uh, it's like to say, oh, I'm a movie person. I'm a fan of movies is kind of redundant, I think, in a, in a certain way. I don't mean to sound really pretentious about it, but it, it seems like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm rambling now, maybe, but it's like the idea. Everybody who has ever liked a movie is a movie person. There are people who like movies just for the sake of movies, though. Yes. And I think that's like the higher level. There's, there's levels. There's echelons. Because... I don't know about you, every time I think I'm a cinephile or I think I'm like, oh, I'm really into movies, I meet somebody that knows so much more about it. And I'm like, I've never seen anything. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm definitely not. um, I don't have, I think I smoke too much weed. I don't know. Like, (laughs) I can, like, remember everything. I watch so much, I, I absorb so much content over, like, you know, the years. And, like, at the end of the year, I couldn't tell you the plots of the things I watched at the beginning of the year. Like I right. would, like I'll be able to tell you like the gist, but like I, there's like huge chunks that I probably forget that if I rewatch, it'd be like, Oh yeah. Like as it happens, I'm like remembering, but I'm not, it's not oh, always, yeah. not always on the mind. Yeah. I don't know. I, have you watched anything you really that literally like lit you up lately? I guess I don't drink into the mic. Um, you can drink into the mic. God, <laughs> do you know how sexy that sound was? That's what the uh, people come for. I don't know the last, the last. I'm trying to think of the last movie I saw in theaters. Um, <clears throat> probably. God, I don't know. What, what's the last movie you saw in theaters? Before I <laughs> in, eat up the... in theaters, I uh, saw the Banshees of Inisherin. Okay. I know I saw a, a movie recently. I know I was like I saw the the One Piece movie in theaters, and I think I saw a scary movie in theaters, but I do not remember the title. Scary movie. I like going to horror movies. Those are the best ones to see in the theater. I am a huge on the topic of you know on a murder podcast. I love a horror movie. Like I absolutely am a huge horror fan. Unfortunately, there's so many terrible horror movies. There's some rough ones. Like, the majority of them are, like, not that great. And I think a lot of them rely on jump scares. Yeah. And tropes. And uh, it's unfortunate. But there there are some really good lore. I th- I'm a big lore guy. Like, I oh, like, yeah. like, I love, like, Friday the 13th movies, not the greatest. No. The lore, awesome. Of course. <laughs> it's like, really it's, interesting. It's the amount of people I know who wear, like, Jason Voorhees t-shirts and then if you ask them, and I'm, I'm not calling these people out, like, do what you need to do, but, and then don't really, I think, have, I'm like, so when you sit down and you watch one of the many, there's like 12 Friday the 13th yeah. movies, tell me you watch one of them and you think, that's a good enough movie for me to wear a shirt about. <laughs> yeah, no. that's a really good point. It's like, it's so iconic past, like, the quality of yeah. the movie. Even the most recent remake was not great. No. Um, that one was just for tits. I'll tell you this. I mean, you might be a big fan of this since you like horror. Yeah. I want... This is a, a pipe dream of mine. Mm-hmm. I would love to make um, Ghostbusters, but make it a horror movie. Yeah. And you call it a... Uh, who do you call? 
Who do you? Uh, like yeah. that's just the title. I think that I don't know. I just think like a Ooh. a like a more like gr- uh, brutal or like yeah horror elements. A grittier, the, yeah, uh, more visceral. Because that movie's pretty tame. No, oh, yeah, it's that's a comedy. It's a comedy that, but uh, uh, yeah. yeah, but I love. Like, I don't love it as much as some people. I had a manager when I worked at a movie theater who was obsessed with the Ghostbusters movie. Like, the whole franchise. Like, the yeah. cartoons and all of it. Like, and I don't understand that. No. I don't think it's that good. <laughs> also, for a movie that was like, I think, I, I mean, I wasn't alive when it came out, when it was released. Obviously, I don't think you were either. Um, but <laughs> you shook your head solemnly. But, uh... Apparently, it was like marketed more as like a whole family thing, and people came out and saw. And you see that in the effects. The effects are like, looks like it's meant for kids. Yeah, it's over the top. And, yeah, yeah. yeah the, and a lot of the comedy is, but then also isn't the Pillsbury Doughboy like a giant? Yeah, <laughs> Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Yeah, there you uh, are. But, uh, yeah, the uh, but there's some there's a lot of really sexual humor in that that I don't think like I think when I first saw it, way went over my head. It's kind of like what they do in cartoons and like for for adults, right? Yeah, like they Disney probably movies. slip it in for the parents. But uh, also, it's Bill Murray and like Dan Aykroyd doing it, so it doesn't feel out of place. Yeah, it's not like I remember clocking the gross shit in SpongeBob when I was a kid, and being like, "How that is that bad? That's gross." <laughs> And I'm like, they're doing that very slyly because this is a purely kids show. This is like yeah. Dan, Bill Murray. Tell me, Bill Murray doesn't hasn't blown a ghost <laughs> once or t- one or two, once or twice, once or one or two ghosts at least. That man it shows up everywhere. Bill Murray, he does. He's in a Zombie Land. He's in Zombie Land, but I'm t- like the man. Like just the man, the, the, the man, name, the, the man, the name, the stories of. There's a documentary I think on Netflix just that the premise of the documentary is just people telling their random Bill Murray running into stories, because they they'll just be like, I was at fucking the grocery store and I looked to my left and there was Bill Murray, and I felt I had to say something to him. I guess I don't know. Where does he live? He lives. He I'm sure he has multiple properties. But I know he has a love-hate relationship with my hometown because he's from Chicago. He's from the Chicago area originally. Okay. He's only about three hours west of where I grew up. And there's a video of him shitting on my hometown, like vocally being just like, yeah, I don't like Davenport. Like, that that place sucks. Like, <laughs> which is very funny to me because he... Uh, yeah, he came for the, there's a big golf tournament every year in my hometown. Okay. It always comes to that. So people will always be like, Bill Murray showed up at this bar, like randomly. And that's what he, he's a normal dude, apparently. He just shows up without like an entourage. He's alone, mm. which is terrifying to me because you would imagine a guy like Bill Murray would have a lot of people around him. There's celebrities like that in New York that I've heard. I can't think of the ones on top of my head, but that you just like see on the the bus or whatever. Kevin uh, Bacon, yeah. Apparent Kev- Kevin Bacon is one that uh, just shows up. <laughs> um, a lot of people. I'm I'm from Fresno, and I have heard a lot on a lot of podcasts or just in movies. Like they always they reference it in a very negative light, and it's always nice to see. It's just Fresno, just funny. yeah. Always. I've heard nothing but nice things about Fresno. No. 
What? No. Me? <laughs> you don't tell me what I've heard, Matt Franco. Where'd By you the way, that? real quick, actually, for the audience, because I don't do intros well. We've been recording for eight minutes. Matt Franco... Portland comedian, by way of Fresno, welcome to Murder Casserole. You're you're on the pod, man. How you feeling? Feeling well. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> to interrupt you to introduce you. No, you're fine. But I finally awesome. said your name in conversation, and it seemed like the right moment. Uh, so yeah, we're talking about Fresno. I have a buddy in Fresno right now playing in his band. He was just okay. telling me I'm in Fresno tonight. Because I'm like, how long are you going to be in the West? He's like, you should come down. I'm like, I think that's like 12 hours from where I am. It's like 14. 14, okay. So is it, do you consider that Northern California? It's uh, Central. It's like right in that armpit. Okay, okay. I have no, um, like, perception of the state of California. I've never stepped foot in it. Not for any moral reasons. Yeah. <laughs> like, I just haven't, <laughs> haven't been out there. Like... Haven't been down there, I guess. There's a lot of cool spots. I mean, I'm sure, like, obviously, it's a great place to visit. I love the state. Speaking of movies, I love movies and any kind of uh, art set in L.A. or around Hollywood. You know the idea. You know how many like detective novels are set. Yeah, absolutely. I love that shit. Like that Hollywood classic type of, and even not the stuff based around Hollywood, but like. You know, do you know the author Raymond Chandler? Mm-mm. Raymond Chandler's a noir guy. He wrote uh, the Maltese Falcon, the, uh, okay. the classic like noir. But he wrote the Big Sleep, the Long Goodbye, like a bunch of novels that are like detective. They all have the same detective. This guy Philip Marlowe, but he had. Um, they're all set in L.A., which was, I guess, his hometown. And also, you start reading like Bukowski and stuff, okay. and he talks a little bit about L.A. But yeah, I've no. There are nice things about California, I'm sure. What's Fresno like? Um, Fresno was just like there's a lot of drug and gang violence and stuff like that. So that's in Fresno itself. I'm actually from, or I grew up in Clovis, which is like Clovis. the suburban area right outside of Fresno. But no one knows what that place is. Uh, right. But I but I worked for years in downtown, like you know, Tower District and whatnot. So right on. Kind of know. So there's some yeah. issues in Fresno. But there's a lot of like you know really good, some really good bands and oh good art scene. At least there was when I left. Yeah, so, some cool people, stuff going on there still. Yeah, I've just noticed that West people are more open to different forms of art and to weird <laughs> art. Like it's uh as a career choice, you don't get as many eye rolls out here. Like in the Midwest, saying like, "Oh, I, I'm I'm a comedian." They're like, "Oh, you do that as a hobby." Yeah. I'm like, well, if you're going to be a dick about it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I would like to do it as a career if I can. And everybody just goes, all right. It's a dream killery of a place. Yeah. In terms of That's how it feels in Fresno. At least that's how it felt. The scene was, oh, the scene seems very large now, but at least when I was there, the at least the open mic scene itself was really small. There was shows going on, but... You know, there's only two open mics in town. It's like, how do you work on anything? Yeah, exactly. You know? it's it's a lot of them, always... a lot of them would start up and then shut down. And well, they're hard to sell. Yeah. For venues, I get any time a venue says, nah, "I don't want to do that." <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> I was just talking to a bar in Portland about doing a mic, and they're like, "Yeah, thing is, owners are always like, what if one of them says something horrible, and then there's a fight, and then ROLCC shit gets fucked up.'" And I'm like, "You know what? That is a chain react. I, I usually condemn 
that kind of chain thinking when mm-hmm. making decisions because it's circumstantial. Come on. Mm. Uh, but that, all right, fair. Like, I get it. I've been in enough bars and not to, you know, air dirty laundry, but I've raised enough hell to know that, like, <laughs> working in a bar where shit goes wrong sucks. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is what's kept me obeying laws is like well i don't want to inconvenience nancy yeah (laughs) (laughs) shout out nancy pursuing one of my favorite bartenders and people um in the world so matt frank gotta love open mic comedy what's what's that colin what's up colin maddox (laughs) colin maddox (laughs) you look comfy are you comfy yeah i decided to go with the sweatsuit today i don't know great I decided, you know, I'm. We're doing my mic later. I was just mm-hmm. like, I don't, you know, let's just run it as is. You look great. I'm excited to. I'm gonna come do the mic tonight over at. Where is that mic? Oh, the it's a uh, it's an open mic on on Foster called at Unlimited IPA. It's a riff mic. Riff mic at Unlimited IPA Sunday nights. Yeah. Um. I don't know how much longer we're gonna try to keep it going, but the with Studio One going down. Um, I feel like that's a there's an expiration date. Why? Because uh, there will only be one mic on Sunday. I mean, we didn't. We might have to move the day, or move loca- or I might just move locations. But um, it would be the only mic on this side of the river on Sunday. But that's very convenient for a lot of people because it can I, be. But it also like it's more convenient if you're trying to like grind and hit mics. It's more convenient to hit both mics on in downtown and then go to Beaverton and hit a third mic. Oh, there's one in Beaverton now. Yeah, you do have to think about that. Yeah, in the the, the, your shit. the venue's never been like I love the people, but it's never exactly been like the best place for comedy. Interesting. I love it. I, I like having... See, I don't mind. I like having a bad mic. I like... <laughs> like, like I'm talking about moving locations. I'm not going to pick a good one. Like, <laughs> I'm going to find a worse location. Oh, yeah, of course. In a better area. Like, better area for people. Like, that makes yeah. more sense for people to go to the mic. But it's going to be a worse mic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I got to start looking at... Um... I don't know, man. You get you bring a lot to that whole dynamic. The host kind of has to be the energy of it. Yeah, I've learned that. Not necessarily that I always bring that, but I definitely have what are you had. Talking about? Well, I've had nights where like I don't want to be there, and like I am really not trying, especially when there's like only like thirteen people on the list. I'm like, I can get through this and yeah. <laughs> go home. Um, but you know, I I realized like you know if I'm if I'm like not trying at all then the energy is even worse than well, it yeah. would be if i like just tried a little bit yeah hosting's weird because you never are trying to do it uh to be good on stage yeah you know you never it's a fool's errand to chase uh like good stage time as a host of an open mic is something that i realized I don't know. I've probably talked about this before, and I, I was trying to make a rule on this podcast not to talk as much comedy. Yeah. Because this is a fucking murder podcast. This isn't a strictly speaking comedy podcast. Bow, 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 bow. Unless you have sound a, effects yet? I don't have sound effects yet. <laughs> so that one was really great. Um, 
We have transitions, transitional yeah. music. I think it was good. So let's we're gonna let's get into this case now. So you you like true crime? You like horror movies? Are you into I true like, crime? I like. I'm a I'm into true crime. I I listen to a podcast here and there. I'm not like yeah. I'm not like the big like twelve episode documentary, but I like I'll watch a few. I, I mainly will stick to the podcast. So get absorb uh, a serial killer or, or there now and now and then in an, in an hour. Yeah. That's a good, like, diet to have, I think, of it. Yeah. There's too much. Now that I've been researching this, a little, there's such thing as too much, guys. Uh, <laughs> there's such thing as reading about too much murder. Uh, I'm I'm doing fine. But uh, it's, uh, it's been an interesting... Uh, I didn't think I could get desensitized to it, but then I was on the train today. And I got really defensive when a guy looked at the book I was reading and made a face. Like, looked at the cover of the mm-hmm. book because I had it open on the train. And uh, I got defensive. I was like, oh, what's his problem, you know, or whatever. <laughs> and he left me alone. It wasn't a big deal. But I then looked at the t- – as I was getting off at my stop, I saw the title. Which The title of the book I was reading is called "It's Torture Mom. But also, there's no punctuation in it, so it's like, is she a mom who tortures, which that is the context of the book, but, or is it, we should go torture mom? <laughs> like, either way, doesn't necessarily, uh, with this face, with this yeah. face, good God. <laughs> God love you. Um, Old, older gentleman on the in, on the transit? Oh, it was an older, it was, no, was it was it? a guy a little bit older than me, eh, maybe 40s, yeah. Not old, old. He's a boomer. Yeah, that's no. That's <laughs> Where's the boomer at? Where's boomer the boomers is, are at? You're born between 1946 and 1964. Oh, so they're like 60? They're in oh, their 60s. So yeah. it's nice to know because my parents are like the opposite. Like my mom is a the second to last year. Boom, she was born in 63. She'll be 60 this year. So okay. she's the youngest. So the youngest of the boomers are 60, 59. Okay. And the oldest are... Wow pushing 80 what's after boomer we'll get it we'll get past this what is there <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's um it's gen x gen x oh, okay that's what thing like kurt cobain like okay. born in the late 60s through the 70s okay and then it's millennials all right and then gen z and and uh who are we talking about what, what's their oh boy we are talking about <laughs> the this is she's she, this is a bit of an anomaly i've given away Wait, hold, on, hold on Millennial Gen X, what are we talking? Yeah, what are we talking? Oh, she is a boomer. Boomer. She's firmly boomer. All right. She's I like firmly it. boomer. She didn't get to, she unfortunately did Oldie. not reach the uh, peak age of OK Boomer, but a few <laughs> of the things, uh, defenses she had for killing people could be responded to that way, Matt. We're talking about the pride of Florida herself, Ms. Eileen Warnos. Ooh. You familiar with Eileen? It sounds familiar. So a lot of people know about Eileen Warnos because she's a bit of an anomaly, like I said, because she's a female serial killer. She was a female serial killer. She's dead now. Um, spoilers. <laughs> but uh, she was a female serial killer, and most of the times when you what you get with female serial killers is there's a, uh, a more out- overt kind of... Uh, 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 or what distinguishes them very differently from male serial killers is male serial killers are often very much power control killers, you know, which is not to say, which Eileen Warnos is as well. The difference is there's not a sexual angle to her 
motive. Mm-hmm. As with most power control killers, there is the power and control they express through violent sexuality. Oftentimes, male serial killers, in a lot of cases, some of the worst ones, I think, have, uh, you know, just started out their careers, for lack of a better term, as rapists. And then they, they, they assault somebody who then maybe tries to get away, so they feel they have to kill them. But And this is kind of almost the inverse of that in a weird way, but also there's a lot of similarities. So Eileen Warnos, a lot of people know her because of the 2003 movie Monster, which was based on uh, her murder spree, where she was uh, played by a South African actress. Didn't know she was from South Africa. Charlize Theron. Everybody knows Charlize. She's great. She won an Oscar for it. Christina Ricci's in the movie, too. We're going to get to talking about Monster. Don't you worry, Matt. I want to I say I've seen the movie. That director... Well, we're going to get to it. I might have watched the movie. You might have watched the movie. The movie's great. I've seen it. And Charlize Theron, I think that uh, Oscar was well-deserved for her portrayal. Um, I want to say I Googled Monster before I Googled Monster Movie, and it was just Monster Energy Drinks. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's, that's not... <laughs> It was not what they were going for. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, so we got Eileen Warnos. Eileen Warnos. You, you might want to actually maybe scoosh the mic a little bit away from you. Just the tiniest bit. Let's see. Yeah, we're going to see how that does it. That's good. You're doing good, though. Um, <laughs> we're going to leave that in. All That's right. in. Yeah, I want, <laughs> no I want notes in. No, I don't fucking edit. Nope. It's no. more work. Actually, put it a little bit closer. It sounded better before. I'm sorry. You're good. Perfect. All, all, right. Right. all right, all right, all right. So let's get you into do your notes. Though. You do your, you do your, uh, your homework. I do my homework. Uh, AJ Valentine. Uh, I don't know if it was on the episode you listened to because uh, I had to record two with him. Yeah. Uh, did he bitch about me having notes in the one you listened to? I don't recall. Okay, it might have been the first one. But he was like, said into Mike, he was yelling, like maxing it out. He's like, this guy's got fucking four pages of notes here. Like, I gotta sit through a fucking class? That's so funny. But yeah, we got Eileen Warnos, like I said. So here's the deal with Eileen's early life. With As with a lot of uh, serial killers, her early life fucking sucked. This is a recurring thing. I've talked about it on, like, every episode, I'm pretty sure, with the exception of a couple. But uh, she was born in 1956. Boomer. Firm boomer. Mid-50s. Confirmed. Uh, read Dead between boomer. my parents in age. There's one mom was born in 52, one was 63. So she's, like, right in the middle. Which I have a lot of, uh, I don't want to say mommy issues tied up with the Eileen Warno story. But... Eileen Warnos's temper in some of her uh, interviews post capture really does remind me of my mom, <laughs> uh, and it probably doesn't. I mean, they are both gay women and rather both rather you know uh, somewhat masculine presenting. My biological mother and Eileen Warnos. If this is mean, I hope my mom never listens to this because <laughs> she's gonna be like, "Fuck you, Colin." I'm, Clip it. My she's not as. My mom is not nearly as ugly as Eileen Warnos. I'm going to say that, okay? Your mom, your mom looks like a pretty Eileen Warnos. <laughs> <laughs> My mom is the pretty Eileen Warnos. It's horrible. She loves uh, true crime, too. She was really proud of me doing this show. <laughs> She's like, I can't wait. <laughs> she 
doesn't hope she understand skips this what, episode. She doesn't understand what podcasts are, so I think we're going to be fine. <laughs> so she was born in, in, in 1956, Eileen, in, in Rochester, Minnesota. It's a suburb of Detroit. Uh, it's the same area as Madonna and Eminem, where the, both of them were from. Sick. Same. <laughs> <laughs> so this place is a distinguished area code. Nice. Uh, <laughs> but uh, she, her mother was uh, Diane Warnos, and her father was this guy, Leo Pittman. She was actually born Eileen Pittman. So she was born on 8 Mile, is that what you're saying? She's not quite born on 8 Mile. This okay, is, this okay. Is, this is a little bit uh, uh, farther outside uh, the area. I think it's also known, uh, there's a difference between Rochester, Minnesota, or, uh, Michigan, I'm sorry, and Rochester Heights. I don't okay. know which one Eileen was from exactly, but when I clicked on the... I, I did a search for the for the the town. It said notable residents, both Eminem and Madonna, spent some early <laughs> years there. Maybe they moved around. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but they got uh, it was young family, very very young parents. The uh, Diane was sixteen and Leo was twenty when Eileen was born, and this was she was their second kid. Uh, Eileen has an older brother, Keith. Um, which is very fun. I, I love the name Keith. Me too. I, I, it's just such a fun name to say. Uh, but uh, Leo, Eileen's dad, and this might uh, be a bit of a, you know, it might portend uh, Eileen's issues later in life. He was a paranoid schizophrenic, Leo Pittman, her, her biological father. And um, he was in jail during uh, Eileen's birth. He, he had gone to jail for a lot of things. He, he uh, what did he, oh, he, uh, yeah, this is what a peach Leo was. He kidnapped and raped a young girl. That's why he was in jail when his uh, daughter was born. Um, so genetically already, right out of the gate, Yeah. not in a great position. I don't care if she, she had never met her biological father because, the next thing is he hanged himself in prison years later when Eileen was about like 11 or something. So she never met him. He was in jail for the entirety of the rest of his life was spent in jail from the time she was born. Right. Yeah. So outside of genetics though, who knows if hearing that information could have had some type of traumatic effect. Of course it does, you know, and like regardless, the energy that a kid is brought into the world around, a 16-year-old mother whose 20-year-old husband is in jail for this horrible crime, yeah. that's going to make probably not a great environment for a child starting right when they take it home. Like, if uh, I don't know anything about social sciences or anything like that outside of true crime perspective, my parents were both... You know, DHS workers, you know, child abuse investigators. I'm sure they would say, oh, in a perfect world, there's something that detects that these people are being born to shitty families and just immediately gets them. Yeah. But the parent, the biological parents have to give up that. We have such a, like, biological rights on kids are dumb. Put it that way. Because, like, anybody can just take home a kid. And yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say most of them are not up to the task. And especially not Diane. So uh, Diane abandoned uh, Eileen and Keith when she was about four. Um, and she left Eileen and Keith uh, with her parents, who were the Warnoses. Um, so it, it, Lori and Britta Warnos. I think Lori's the grandfather. I think it's short for Lawrence. I don't imagine Britta being a man's name. But the filter? 
what? Brit of the filter. Brit of the filter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's two T's. So I don't know who is who. I feel like Lori has to be, but it's L A U R I. That seems both very. Fa- I'm, for a second, I was like, did Eileen have gay grandparents? Like, did <laughs> did she have two kindly, yeah, uh, lesbian grandmothers? That was not the case at all. These people fucking sucked. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, yeah, Lori, let's just say the grandfather, because I don't want to besmirch the grandmother's name if I'm wrong. Because <laughs> I couldn't, guys, you have to believe me when I say, I tried to look up these people individually, and I still cannot discern who was the grandfather and the grandmother. So I'm just going to say grandma and grandpa. Uh, that's alright with everybody. I'm sorry my research isn't extensive. This is a one-man ship. <laughs> but uh anyway so um eileen would uh allege later in life and throughout um that her grandfather had been uh extremely abusive to her both physically through beatings and sexually had been molesting her from a, a very very young age she also later confessed to um having a a, a uh, bit of an incestuous relationship with her brother uh i don't know who initiated that i don't imagine either scenario is good actually i'm gonna go ahead out on a limb say i don't want to think about it (laughs) because yeah not pleasant you know yeah but uh yeah so very quickly eileen starts realizing like from the age of about 11 or 12 that she can um and this happens unfortunately a lot with people who are raised in like sexually abusive homes uh starts realizing out in her community of peers she can get favors in exchange for sexual favors she can get like cigarettes if she lets a bunch of older boys touch her tits basically and she starts figuring this out very young and uh, getting food because she's not being fed well at home her grandmother throughout all of these like harsh disciplinary beatings and also the molestation Apparently, according to Eileen, she would later say, oh, she, my grandmother was fully aware of what was happening. She just chose not to deal with it. Um, and I kind of, I think that's consistent with what we end up seeing. A lot of uh, psychiatrists have tried to label uh, Eileen Warnos as really having uh, mothering issues because she lacked any kind of, like, care from a young age. She immediately turned to violence like that is she was like it was either sex or violence and sometimes a combination of the two uh to get what you need out of the world basically and uh yeah it's a shit situation for a child to be in to say the least um and that's the like i said at the top of the show that's the common thread when doing these serial killer pieces uh or pretty much anybody who has been convicted or is accused of a really, really monstrous, uh, violent crime, it's almost always because there's a significant amount of violence in their past. Yeah, absolutely. Um, nine know, times out of ten. Oh, nine times out of ten. I think the only ones that I've talked about where there wasn't a lot of abuse at home was... Charles Schmid. That guy. He was a piece of shit. He didn't get abused too bad. Um, or maybe didn't just never talked about it. Yeah, either way, so it could be it could have been undocumented. It's the other thing. It's uh, the attitude towards talking about childhood abuse to this day is not great. Like I don't know anything about anyone. You, you, you know, 
Yeah. That's just, it was not a nonsensical <laughs> way to put that. Well, but I don't, I don't know. Like, we don't talk about that type of stuff even yeah, to not, this day. Yeah, tend not to, not to be the most comfortable conversations to have. But people have different <laughs> levels and thresholds of what they can tolerate for yeah. what's traumatic for them. Something Some it's people can true. be very sensitive towards towards an, an event that could be uh and then retold and retold and retold in their memory and then just become you know who knows what happens after that and then when having you know your parents who were involved in and uh, your dad who was involved in a horrific crime and Ugh. and has to do with you know two of the things that you're almost doing right. yourself not maybe in a different way but like you're repeating a pattern that's from oh, past trauma or, or it's getting worse like I've been, you know, I've been researching a future episode on a very, like, well known for his brutality serial killer, and um, it's a natural conclusion when you learn about his family, but also his immediate family and the people I feel the worst for because of all of this. Um, I always end up feeling really horrible for uh, the serial killers' families in these, yeah. like. Obviously, the victims and the victims' families as well. The victims' fam, the, the families, pe- full stop of these people involved in these cases, just don't see what's coming to them, in terms of the notoriety and the, like you were talking, the ever bringing it up, you know, yeah. uh, making it worse. So uh, basically, um, at fourteen, a friend of her of Eileen's grandfather sexually assaulted her. And this resulted in her getting pregnant. Um, so the baby was born. She carried it to term and was adopted from birth. Uh, it was a boy. Um, they Eileen has no contact with, has never had any contact with her child. But Eileen Warnos has a son out there somewhere, which is kind of interesting to think. Or, you know, a, a child out there, let's say that. Yeah. Um, but uh, because of that, her grandmother very quickly after that died of, uh, I believe it was some kind of esophageal cancer, uh, big smokers. And they're both alcoholics. The grandparents are horrible. And they are also raising Eileen and Keith up into this point to that they are their kids, not their grandkids. They've completely removed any mention of these kids' actual mother. So that, I think, probably makes in the moment worse because it's not this cruel twist of fate and I ended up with my grandparents who abused me. It's my parents fucking hate me. Yeah. You know? Or my dad just likes to molest me. It's it's horrible no matter which way you go. Um, Also, apparently, uh, according... uh, uh, In the time of her life that's recorded... By numerous arrests, starting from the age of 15, when her, right after her grandmother dies, her grandfather kicks her out of the house. Um, So she started working as a sex worker, making her way out to Colorado, and then down to Florida, where, um, at the age of 20, so after five years of just popping around, uh, she married this very wealthy uh, 69-year-old man, and she was 20, uh, he's a funny name though, Matt. You want to know his name? What's his name? Lewis Fell. <laughs> and how did he die? 
I don't know, but what's really <laughs> funny is that he got a restraining order against her oh, because no. she apparently beat him with his own cane. So I imagine <laughs> his full name is just what she said when someone asked her about his bruises. Like, yeah. why is he o- Lewis Fell? It's like, <laughs> just repeating we his know name. that's his name, Eileen. Lewis Fell! That's what happened. Lewis Fell. That's what happened. Lewis Fell. Yeah, what happened to Lewis Fell? Where did Fell fall? <laughs> How far has Fell fallen? That's what I want to <laughs> fucking know. But also, they, they, they got an annulment pretty soon after that, after he put, filed charges against her. But um, this time in her life, those five years that she spent oh shit, on the road is uh, pretty evenly recorded through her arrest record because she keeps getting arrested during this time for escalating amounts of violence, a lot of involving guns. So she gets popped for armed robbery. She, Her and somebody else... Uh, try to stick up a liquor store or something like that. They stealing of a car. Uh, there's a bunch of assault and battery charges on there from just barroom fights. She she's drinking. The other thing about a lot of serial killers, many of them, many of them, hardcore fucking alcoholics. A lot of them need something to dull their like inhibitions enough mm-hmm. to kill. Ted Bundy. I didn't know this till recently. Was fucking blackout drunk for hmm. most of his murders. And I, I d- never knew that about that. And that somehow makes it scarier. Because yeah. it's more unhinged. Uh, Almost more natural, too. Like, they're still. Well, he could just do it. it. And he, he, like, did all the cleanup and stuff. His, yeah. Like, his, some of his crimes it's were, wild. like, stupidly elaborate. And the fact that he was just like, hey, you come here. You want to help put my boat in on the, on the car? Yeah. You want to help put these books, <laughs> books in my car? Come here. Didn't he get pulled out? Didn't he have to deal with cops, or is that not? Did he not oh, officer, please. It's fine. I'm a, I'm actually a law student. I'm pretty sure that's a line of dialogue in that Zac Efron Ted Bundy movie. Did you watch that one? No, I haven't. Oh man, it's it's you know it's called um what's it called? Extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and vile. Which is what they like said about his crimes, you know, okay. the, 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 the thing attributed to them. But there's no murder in that movie. You you see, it, it, it's very uh, pleasant for having a title like that. It's the, hmm. like there's nobody. None of it's extremely it's, shocking. Isn't a uh, psycho? Isn't that about Ted American Bundy? Psycho? Yeah, American Psycho. It's not really. I think isn't they, that loosely based or no? Like. Uh, basis for it just in the sense that he's like a privileged white guy is like can get away with crimes really mm-hmm. easily like that's an aspect of it i think i don't know it's ba- American Psycho's based some inspiration on a, yeah yeah um i know the thing in have you ever seen silence of the lambs yes uh the scene where he abducts the main victim who clary starling saves at the end um he's struggling to get that he has like a cast on his arm and he's struggling to put the like love seat or the chair in the back of his van that was ted bundy's move okay um to act like disabled uh with crutches or a cast on his arm or something and then he would rely on the kindness of attractive young women Mm -hmm. so he could do that thing that made him feel like god and what would eileen do eileen we're getting there (laughs) let's not jump ahead um i'm gonna hold my mic now we're getting rogue we're getting hicksian with it hicksian podcasting i could stand up but that'll intimidate you (laughs) (laughs) but um 
Yeah, so basically, uh, also, it's upsetting because uh, we know that she's dealing with a lot of depression during this time in her life from 15 to 20 because uh, she, uh, by her own count, attempted suicide six times over this point uh, in her life. One of the times by trying to shoot herself in the abdomen. Oh. Like, I'm sorry. That's, I, I, I mean, I'll, it's very possibly a cry for help. You know, yeah, it's I really don't believe that yeah, uh, because I feel like if you have a gun and you want to kill yourself, you're putting that thing in your mouth. But I've just broken the American Psychiatric Society's rules about suicide, so I'm very sorry about that. Uh, you're never supposed to discuss methods. Um, fuck it. I don't care. I'm a fucking rebel. Uh, no, but someone that, that shoots themselves in, the, in a torso area is, you know, clearly like taking a risk like taking a chance like i kind of like maybe i will survive this yeah. maybe i will and you know well, I think unfortunately that... in this case she did yeah <laughs> yeah and we haven't even <laughs> gotten to times. her murders yet one of the You're few times coming for our girl eileen <laughs> maybe i have a bit of affection for her because uh... she looks like your mom yeah <laughs> like an ugly version of your mom <laughs> She kind of talks like my mom. You find it, there's a bunch of interviews. There's two full documentaries that are mostly just interviews with her, and it's they're fun to watch. Um, so for a little bit of context, uh, now I said this was a Florida case because most all the murders are, uh, take place in Florida, and this is such a Florida story. Um, but I'm surprised that it took as long as it did to catch her. I feel like it could have been done quicker because she was not very uh, stealthy. She wasn't very crafty. I don't think. Um, all of her murders were with a gun that she owned, you know, and she just held on to it, uh, for a while. I think they eventually found it, but kind of sloppy, but because these crimes were covered very extensively in the news, which is why, like, I'm sure you've heard of, like, the sunshine laws in Florida. Mm -mm. So, I, I, I'm probably butchering this meeting, but I, uh, basically what it is, is there's very few, because of the sunshine laws, there's very few restrictions in place for uh people who work in crime basically like investigators and stuff there's very few restrictions to between them getting details of certain cases and it getting to the press mm -hmm. press has a lot of uh access to the most sordid details of all of the crimes and can print them uh basically that's the gist of it so that's why it seems like there are a thousand like horrible crimes a day in florida because there are, but they're just covered in, like, detail and very often by the newspapers down there. So it's an interesting little dynamic. Have you ever looked at Portland local news? Uh, I've read Willamette Week. If you just go on Facebook at pretty much at any time and you just switch to local on the news section, it's, like, violent crime after violent crime. After oh, yeah, well, crime. yeah, well, it's because I look at it like, like Fox pops up on the <laughs> news thing, and I don't know, yeah, but... Yeah, they don't like us here, Fox. Do they have an office out here, I wonder? I don't know. Probably. I mean, they just have affiliates, just a spy. Just, yeah. <laughs> they just got a guy in a building. What are they doing? The top of a building. What, are you, what are you up to? Uh, so, uh, like I said, kind of at the top, uh, uh, Eileen was a, a, I don't think she ever identified as a lesbian, per se. Um, when she was working as a sex worker, she's mostly servicing men. And uh, she is having relationships, off and on relationships with women. Uh, the movie um, Monster makes it seem like she was specifically not a lesbian. Hmm. Like, or she did not identify as one. Um, but I think if that's true, let's say that it is that she just didn't want to identify as a gay woman. 
because she thought it would be, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if coming from where she came from and the time that she came from, if she wanted to just hide that, you know, part of herself, at least in purely in words, just never saying it out mm-hmm. loud. Because she would go to gay bars. That's where she met her long-term uh, partner, who becomes important to this story, uh, Tyria Moore. Um I think I did listen to this one. Yeah, you listened to something about this? Yeah. Tyria Moore uh, yeah, was her partner during her entire crime spree of murder. She had a partner before Tyria Moore who left her, up and left her after uh, Eileen saved up, bought her a pressure washing machine, then just up and left her. <laughs> Tell you what. Talk about a goodbye gift. <laughs> It's a mean old world, Matt. Uh, <laughs> That'll fuck your mental up. You know, like, <laughs> every time you use it. Yeah, there's a... Um, but like I was saying at the top of the show as well, uh, the whole idea with female serial killers, it's often like very similar circumstances in creating them, you know, in terms of the abusive childhood, and oftentimes there's like a traumatic head injury in there, uh, and a combo of factors that make it so that, you know... There are you turn out with, as a violent person. I think um, Eileen had a lot of those same but more masculine uh, influences in her life. Her really only big influence was her grandfather, and he did whatever the fuck he wanted, and he used his hands, for lack of a better word, to do so. Because he was also a violent guy. Like if you pissed yeah. him off, he'd fucking hit you. You know. So I think she just took that into her life, which is very similar to a lot of male serial killers but like where i talked about the difference is that her power and control is not necessarily though she used sex to get it it, her her sexual satisfaction was not the driving factor so it's an interesting little kind of like inverse of a lot of serial killer tropes it's why like um that one of the guys who mindhunter is based on the netflix show mindhunter uh wrote in his book that you know eileen is the only true female serial killer because i don't count most of the time when women murder someone it's like for money or because they're holding them back or it's like a family member that is bothering one of those two things like a lot of women kill their kids usually when women murder it ends up like now but that's not all i shouldn't say that because most family annihilations where like one of the parents flips out and kills everybody most of those are done by the father so I, i don't want to pigeonhole mothers in that way i suppose but uh, it's also this story is a bit of a, a, a flip or an inverse of the idea of the less dead. Are you familiar with the less dead? Not, not in particular. Yeah. So it's or not um, particularly. <laughs> so it's a theory uh, put forth in like true crime stuff that the less dead means people. I've talked about it on the show before, but um, people of color, uh, gay folk, LGBT community, um, sex workers specifically. Uh, people on the fringes of society, anybody that society doesn't really care about are considered the less dead because when they show up dead, not that many people seem to care. Like, they don't get solved. So um, because of that and because of her work as a – this is Florida. She's not in a city either. She's in, like, Daytona. So she is uh, trying to turn tricks on the highway in Florida – she is, like, ripe for a Floridian serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> of which there are quite a few. 
Like, Ted Bundy was executed in Florida, too. There's, like, a, a few similarities between the two of them. He was getting executed during her, like, murder spree. Or would oh, wow. have just been executed. Hitchhiking so, in Florida is, like, a very... Sounds like a very... Hitchhiking serial killing is, sounds like a very Florida... Well, it's mostly flat in Florida, so you can cover great distances pretty quickly, you know? It's interesting. I've never been to Florida. It's very flat. (laughs) (laughs) I drove down there for a school trip in high school, and I fucking, I never need to go back. I'll go if someone's paying me to, or if I I get a really good, uh, like, someone convinces me. How many female, before we get back on the, how many female serial killers have you heard of? Isn't there one in Australia or is there not? There was a, uh, there's a few Australian female murderers that are worth talking about. Um, yeah, there's, uh, female serial killers is different. There's a lot of them who are connected to couples which is like a whole other thing. Yeah, I've, I've listened um, to some about that. Yeah, there's like the Moores murders or uh, Carla Homolka and Paul Bernardo. There's like women who, because the man they're with is a straight up psychopath, they kind of adapt to that if that's the kind of person they are. Um, female serial killers just who operate on their own, very few by comparison. Um, I think there's a... Nothing. I like your. Oh, uh, I thought there was some. I thought there were, I thought I heard something. Uh, sorry. To rain. Oh, is it? Oh, look at that, Portland for you. It was sunny when you got here. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> we're recording here in, in Portland, Oregon, here in the, in the Maddox household. <laughs> you got quick, a nice little rain ambiance in the background Ooh, of the mics. Yeah, that'll be great. <laughs> it's great to fall asleep too. That much I will say. Um. But uh, not a lot. Uh, the only other one I can think of off the top of my head is Nanny Doss, who okay. operated by herself. Um, that's a fun case. I look forward to talking about that. And, the, you know, there's a woman at who's the main perpetrator of the one I just started researching today. That one's going to be fucked up. <laughs> I'm excited for that one. Uh, <laughs> so let's, let's, let's get into these murders, Quinn. That's what you're here for. Yeah. So in 1989, while working as a highway sex worker, um, Eileen Wernos, uh, murder, started murdering her own Johns. Now she alleged that to the end of her life, she kind of flip-flopped actually on this a lot, that most, if not all of the killings had been done in self-defense. And I think it might be true of the first one so let's talk about that so this is 1989 that this is happening um richard mallory uh pulls over and picks up eileen warnos one night and according to her and she's the only witness uh they drive somewhere uh to have sex pay money you know gives her money and but instead of having consensual sex he knocks her out and starts to assault her and you know beats her and all this horrible stuff and she kills, manages to get free, reach into her purse where she has her gun, just a little twenty-two, um, uh, and shoot him. I believe he was shot six times. Yeah, and then she takes his car and bounces. That um, was the first murder. That was the first murder. So uh, Richard Mallory had a twenty-year-old rape conviction on his record when he picked up Warnos, though. This was discovered after he was found dead. Um, So he was a convicted sexual predator at that point. 
So it's not crazy to think that, like I said, there was some fucking creeps riding the rails picking up sex workers and doing awful shit to them. It seems like, and this is purely speculation because we can't know for certain, in the movie Monster, I'll be making a lot of references to it because it is a good movie and you should watch it if you're interested. But uh, it, I, I kind of believe that what happened in that this scene in the movie uh, is probably close to what happened in real life. Uh, and it's, an, it's a rough scene to watch. But uh, that is, I, I think, true. I don't think um, the other ones were done in self-defense. I think this is a moment where she realized, ah, I yeah. can make way fucking more money if I just kill these dudes and take their shit. Yeah. <laughs> so robbery becomes a secondary motive, but I do think there's a like subconscious thing happening where it clicks where she goes, I don't I've been fucking a victim my entire life. I don't have to be a victim anymore. She probably I'm, thinks she's doing the right thing. She probably, I, I think she's thinking too, like, I'm going to get them before they get me. Since mm-hmm. that one guy did, like, I'm not going to be that. Like, yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to get you and start seeing the threat in, ev- or putting the threat on every John who picks her up, I think. That's interesting. Is like, um, there's like, is there a term for a serial killer that is, like doing it because they love to kill or someone that is doing it because they are for, for like things like not like a psycho or like a yeah schi- like a schizophrenic oh there's like many psychopath. like sub classifications of murderers because people think like you know if there is the big one that people talk about is process or product like um Eileen Wernos would probably be more on the process side of things because it's kind of about like, fuck you, I'm going to kill you. Bang. Yeah. Like, I think there's... Take your money. And I'm going to take your shit afterwards. So that's a bit of a product, actually, because you're getting something from it. The perfect example of a product killer is Jeffrey Dahmer because he killed people to play with their bodies. He wanted something, and the thing that he wanted was their body, but lifeless. Mm-hmm. Now, a process killer would probably be somebody closer to Gacy, um, who, uh, after the body, he was done with the body, he just had to get rid of it or dispose of it, or he kept it close, actually, as his disposal, because he buried him under his house. Yes. But um, that his thing was the kill itself, the hunt, you know, uh, and uh, product is like you want trophies, product. But then there's other people and like missionary killers, like people who kill for like religious reasons or because yeah. they think that they are doing something. Like there's an argument to be made for each one of these is the problem is like I think the field of serial killer study is still very, very young. We've only really been thinking about it in the terms of like profiling and putting them into subcategories since like the 70s, mm-hmm. like the late 70s. So it's maybe been 50 years, but not quite. And um, yeah, it's kind of, a, it, it's still pretty new. So I think that there's still some research to be done, uh, but that there's, there's broad, I like product process, missionary, power control, like, you know, some of those are the subsets, I guess. Okay. But um, the general routine of getting picked up by a John saying, let's drive somewhere secluded to have sex and then when they arrive at that someplace secluded, Eileen shooting the guy 
and then taking his shit and leaving him. Sometimes she left them wrapped up. Sometimes she left him just out in the open, uh, naked. Uh, but it was repeated. She did it six more times after Richard Mallory. And Richard Mallory was it all? Was it all hitchhiking? Yeah, it was. I th- I'm pretty sure it was all just walking and being the right place, right time. She had um uh, uh, a little bit of a move where um oh yeah. So part of her mo she kind of shared with the uh, Gary Ridgeway, who's the Green River Killer, which is a big thing out here. Uh, case in the Pacific Northwest, but she would show potential victims um, pictures of kids because she had uh, her adoptive sister, I believe, somebody who like looked after her later in life, had a couple of kids. So she would carry these pictures around and she would say, uh, uh, these are my kids. I'm just, I just need a few bucks to get back to something. Is there any, to get back to them? Is there anything I could do for you? Like that type of thing. Yeah. But Gary Ridgeway would do the opposite because he killed sex workers so he would show them his, like, pictures of his kids to, like, disarm sex workers. Be like, oh, here's a picture of my son. And they've got, or he, a couple times, brought his kid with on the kills. Wow. Um, weird, take your kid to work day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a weird one. But also, Gary Ridgway uh, called killing women his career later in life. So, um, oh. hey, there's some there's some there. Gary Ridgway is a, uh, is a forthcoming episode. Uh, but yeah, so seven victims and all, uh, kind of her whole, was her whole thing. And, uh, so we got Mallory, David Spears, um, was shot nine times, I believe, which is fucked up because if it's a 22 revolver, I'm imagining it's only carrying six rounds. So she shot him till the gun was empty and reloaded. reloaded and shot him three more times. There's also potential that this being a 22, it could be a nine chambered revolver. I don't know exactly. Um, those do exist though. So um, yeah, she claimed later, like I said, that all of the victims had tried to assault her. Then there's a uh, Charles Karskaden, who uh, his car was found after that she abandoned it. She usually took the guy's car and a lot of their belongings. Uh, a couple of them were found nude. Um, Charles Cascadden was also shot nine times. Um, I think Charles Spears was actually the guy. Oh, this one is upsetting, but kind of funny. Um, found completely nude except for a baseball cap. <laughs> Wasn't a fan of the hat. Wasn't a fan. I wonder if she put it on his face. She's like, stop looking at me. You know? <laughs> but uh, I would. <laughs> it's so fucked up. And he's like. Because I think at the time they would go out a couple of times. She said like I would we I would let them start to get undressed. Like be like, all right, you get naked and we'll fuck for the money. And then when they get vulnerable, that's when she like mm-hmm. uh, would shoot them or whatever or threaten them. And uh, yeah, so then uh, Peter Seams is another one. They never found his body. That was just a complete like. That she confessed to that later. I don't think she knew him by name, but they traced his car. Okay. Eventually they found that, and then she was like, yeah, I killed the guy who owns that car. Because um, she eventually confesses. That's how this ends. And then there's uh, Troy Burris, who was a sausage salesman. He's just doing his <laughs> job. He's just selling sausage. One of these guys, uh, I think it was, um, it might have been Spears, or this next guy, the last, uh, or was uh, Charles Dick Humphreys. 
um, was uh, selling Bibles out of the back of his car or had a bunch of Bibles. And he was a former child abuse investigator, like my mom, uh, and he had been the chief of police in his small town in Florida. And apparently this was one... And this is also a scene in the movie that's very... It's a great scene, but uh, probably she later said uh, he said he would give me all the money that he had, and he said, I'll give you a ride to a bus station. Like, I just want to see my family again. Like, please don't kill me. Yeah. Um, Because apparently she tried to... He wasn't interested in sex, so she just tried to rob him, and then it's like, all right. And then uh, he he was like, no, I I just... I'll help you. We'll we'll figure this out. And she just killed him. Uh Um, And then there was one last one, uh, Walter Antonio... Uh, who also died in the same way. And I believe it was his vehicle that led to her capture because one of the cars um, was crashed with uh, Eileen and Tyria Moore driving it. So they, instead of waiting around, they just fucking ran away Mm -hmm. um, because it's a dead guy's car. Uh, (laughs) And uh, apparently a witness had seen a bunch of them... uh, had seen them running away, and they matched a description of somebody else who had been seen near one of the other victims' cars, I believe. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that's 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 the murder spree. So let's get into some fun facts, though, before we okay. wrap it up. Does that sound good? Sounds great. So, how long I've... did the trial go on for? Do you know? Oh, the trial. We'll get to the trial. All right. Fun facts. Fun facts. So, Warnos shared a similar end-of-life philosophy with this guy named Carl Panzram. You know Carl Panzram? Mm-mm. Carl Panzram. I have his book right over here. I just finished it because he's, he's another forthcoming episode. I like to tease the episodes for whatever the soon ones, but he's an interesting guy, Panzram. He was a murderer in the uh, early first like 20 years of the uh, 20th century or so. So an old timey kind of guy. And he is uh, a product completely of the prisons, but he had this philosophy with life that they hated. He hated all of humanity. Panzram's thing was his thing with uh, the realm of serial killers. He's wins from being most blunt, like in his mode. He's like, I hate everybody. I hate every, if I could get my hands on you, I would fucking kill you. Mm-hmm. He was just a crazy fucker who had been beaten his entire life in prison, so he just learned to fucking kill anything that pissed him off. Um, so by the end, he was just like ready to die. Like, and he eventually also was executed as Eileen was. And by the time that uh, Eileen got to the end of her life, towards the end of her um, uh, time on death row, like her execution date was getting close. She was like, I uh, stop all the appeals. I, I just want to fucking die. I just want to be done with this shit. Like mm-hmm. I killed those guys. Like, which you don't see a lot. Bundy protested his innocence till the end. Gacy protested his innocence till the end. Um, I think right at the end, Bundy reneged and said like, yeah, I did it all. Like, yeah. Doesn't Gacy like, say that he, he tells them everything and then he like tries to like go back on it and he's say that they, a fucking idiot gacy like gacy confessed to his lawyers immediately before he was even arrested like his lawyers are why he got arrested yeah. because he got wasted and went into his lawyers who he had just retained for because he's like they're gonna get me i'm gonna need lawyers so he's like i'm gonna tell you everything and he tells them in as many details as he has while being shit-faced how he killed 33 kids 
mm-hmm. and then he leaves, and the lawyers are like, I don't think he could do that. So they call the <laughs> fucking cops who have been following him for the last like week and a half and they pull him over. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah. Uh, she was not down with it by the end. She had ceased all type of things. She also blamed, uh, famously like Panzeram blamed society okay. for all of her crimes. She's like, you did this to me. And I'm in somewhat inclined to agree if you replace society with, like, the your caretakers. Yeah, yes. yeah. You had, Eileen, if you're listening in the ether, you had very bad caretakers, and you did not deserve the early life that you got. But, unfortunately, our sympathy for you has to end when you decide to take another human life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's where it ends for me that's where it should end for any fan of this genre you can't uh hold these people up as excusable for yeah, their horrible lives because a lot of people have horrible lives and don't murder people yeah. you know it's a it's a combination of factors it's not just that um so i talked about the gary ridgeway thing um eileen never like i said uh you know she had a lot of relationships with women uh she met tyria Moore at a gay bar um, in Daytona Beach, and they got together, and um, yeah, they were apparently very intensely in love. And uh, you know, she was known as a bit of a barfly, our Eileen. She, like I said, big drinker. Apparently, that's according to Tyria Moore, all she liked to do was fucking drink and play pool. She is basically Jamaudi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jamaudi doesn't drink that much. Um, but yeah, like I said, uh, in, in the movie, the movie Monster, Charlize Theron wins the Oscar for that in two thousand three, and it's a year after she gets executed. She dies in two thousand two. Um, this whole spree, by the way, is only about eight months. Like starts in late nineteen eighty nine, November, and then she kills her last victim in September of nineteen August of nineteen ninety, I believe. So it's quick. It's a very quick turnaround. She was kind of like, she became very famous because she's, like I have been saying, a bit of an anomaly as a female mm-hmm. serial killer who also kills with a gun. That's not very usual. Usually women do poison or like something like semi-gentle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, guns are aggressive. The official stance of murder casserole. Guns are aggressive. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe uh, convenient because it's like a you know you don't you just pull a trigger, but it's also very messy. It's very a lot more to clean up. A lot. Yeah. yeah, it gets everywhere too. Is my under- my yeah. understanding. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they don't. They they may not know the like how to yeah. like make it less yeah messy or whatever. So Charlize Theron famously gained like thirty pounds to play Eileen Warnos because if you look at Eileen, let's let's pull up. A, I I have a picture of her pulled up. Let's let's show you Eileen. Um, Eileen is a real peach of a lady. Um, this is a better picture of her. This is like actually a relatively pleasant picture of her. Uh, that's Eileen. Oh, I have seen. Yeah, she's a recognizable face. If you get into the, any of these, uh, true crime kind of rabbit holes, she usually crops up. Yeah, I've definitely seen that picture. There's a... Tyria Moore I'm sure I've as heard well. That. That's her, 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 her lover. Okay. Her partner. Uh, for a while. And Tyria Moore apparently, uh, according to her, has always maintained that she uh, was aware uh, to some extent about the murders. She knew of the first one. Eileen confessed to the first one. Um, to the, But she gave her the story, which is why I believe 
the not that she doesn't have a reason to lie to her partner, but it's somewhat why I, I kind of believe the idea that she was assaulted in the fr- yeah. and killed the first guy in self defense. So um, yeah, uh, but Christina Ricci plays a character based on Tyria Moore in the movie Monster. And I don't know who thought that casting was at all accurate when you... <laughs> Here's the thing. Like, Tyria Moore, is, and it, which is her right, is very private. And it didn't want to have anything to do with the movie being made about what is probably the worst period of her life. Yeah. <laughs> like, absolutely. you know, understandably so. So she's like, you can't use my name. Like, or probably my likeness, she probably also said, I don't want people to know it's me when I go to my grocery store. Like, oh, I saw you in that movie. Like, yeah. uh, so they cast Christina Ricci, who is very, you know, cute. <laughs> and, you know, and Tyria Moore is uh, not as cute. Um, yeah. I don't mean to be rude. Uh, but uh, but Charlize Theron famously, like, gained 30 pounds, shaved off her eyebrows. Apparently she gained the weight by drinking uh, melted Haagen-Dazs. Which sounds fucking awesome, like, uh, <laughs> and she also like tried to drink as much as she heard Eileen Warnos dr- would drink in a night, which was like eight beers. Huh. So when you drink that much beer every night, you're gonna put on some pounds during it or after. During, I think when she was trying to gain the weight. Oh, for the movie. For the movie, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sorry. So, yeah, you're good. Uh, but it's directed by Patty Jenkins, who uh, the only other thing she did, that was the, her first movie, and then she did not direct another movie until uh, the Gal Gadot Wonder Woman. And she directed that and the, new, the 1984, which I haven't seen. Huh. Uh, but I didn't really care for the first Wonder Woman. I thought it was okay. It was fine. But uh, <laughs> the place where uh, uh, there's a, scenes in the movie that mostly take place at this bar called The Last Resort in Daytona and they where they filmed it was the actual bar where Eileen and Tyria Moore were regulars so the owner is like a local fixture now she's in the movie and they taught they have pictures up about it they have leave it to Florida to be a place that like capitalizes on true crime like <laughs> fetishization I think they're like this is the place where Eileen Warnos used to get fucked <laughs> she threw a fucking pool cue ball at my head like it's pretty fucking sick um there's also two documentaries like I said about Eileen Warnos that are very personal um that are okay but it's been a while since I've seen them they're both directed by this guy Nick Broomfield Blo- yeah Broomfield um he's this English guy and He's just a real twat. Like, he's, he's very pushy. He puts himself in it. He's, like, doing the Michael Moore, Louis Thoreau thing. And where he's, as the documentarian, instead of just being behind the camera filming shit for the documentary, he's, like, in it. And he's talking to them. And they're filming both of them in the interview. Which, I don't like documentaries like that, frankly. Yeah. I, I, would, I would rather all the documentaries I watch be just, like, clips with narration and pictures. Like, that's the shit I like. Yeah. Um, but uh, he, this guy, he gets some good interview moments out of Eileen. But the documentaries are kind of, ironically, both of them feel really exploitative. Um, and the whole point of the second one is how the upcoming movie that they want to make is exploitative to her at the end of her life. Hmm. And I'm like... Well, what the fuck are you doing then? You think you're better because you make yours is a documentary and her this is a fictional like a semi fictional story. But why does that make yours like a, don't aggrandize yeah, it's, your shit? It's like a 
just a different side of the same coin. Yeah, plus, fuck you, man. You made one documentary about this woman, like a two-hour-long feature-length film, and then you hear somebody else is making a different kind of film about her, and you're like, I'm going to make another one. (laughs) Just to prove that that other one they're making is bullshit. Like, and I think that's a bitch move, Nick Broomfield. Uh, Calling him out. Calling him out. I'm calling him out. (laughs) (laughs) You need sound effects. I need sound effects. Maybe uh, Spotify for podcasters has some good ones I can pop in there. (laughs) But uh, Natalie Merchant, apparently, uh, uh, Eileen was a really big fan of the singer Natalie Merchant uh, and played her song, like, on repeat. Uh, a bunch from her album and then so she requested Eileen did when she was uh, being laid to rest that her ashes be scattered to one of those songs and uh, Nick Broomfield had to get Natalie Merchant's permission to use the song in the documentary and apparently Natalie Merchant I don't know what this says about her I don't know anything about Natalie Merchant I don't know the song don't know her music at all um the quote I read about it she seemed a little too touched that a serial killer was a fan she seemed, like, really heartened by it. <laughs> she was just like, oh, Eileen likes my stuff. That's so nice. Yeah, of course, use it on the do- in the documentary about her last days. Really pen pals. Yeah. yeah. They weren't. I highly doubt that. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure she was like, but keep her away. Yeah. Um, I don't mean to drag you, uh, Natalie Merchant. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, another little fun fact is that when uh, Eileen was in prison, somebody did the hair psychopathy checklist test on her. Are you familiar with that? No. Well, it's out of 40, and you answer either, like, agree, somewhat agree, or completely disagree. It's like a three-point scale, and it's on, like, uh, you know, just basic questions about uh, little personality things. It's supposed to determine if you are any way a psychopath. And it's graded out of 40, and the 30 threshold means you are a psychopath. Uh, Eileen scored a 32, which the guy who tested it in the Florida prison system said that was the highest he ever got. Oh, wow. And I'm like, that's, I mean, that means she's the biggest, baddest bitch in Florida, which is saying something. (laughs) In terms of her psychopathy, I'm not saying being being a psychopath is not good. If you happen to be tested for this hair psychopathy and you turn out to be a psychopath, it doesn't make you a bad person either. They have to keep her, like, locked up somewhere where she can't kill it, like, where they can't kill her or she can't kill anybody while she was in prison. Oh, they. She said a bunch of stuff about like the end of her life. Let, let's get into the, the 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 arrest and the aftermath and the end of Eileen Warnos. Yes. Um. So Eileen Warnos, she was arrested outside her regular bar, uh, that old spot, the last <laughs> resort. Uh, she'd been ID'd by a woman who saw her and Tyria fleeing that car, and uh, uh, Tyria had already fled. She'd already like dumped Eileen and just bounced at this okay. point. She went back. Uh, she went to Scranton, where she probably had some a smart family. move. Yeah, probably. Uh, but they picked her up there. Um, she was arrested in connection because she matched the description, and uh, Eileen was also in custody at this time. But they didn't have Eileen wasn't saying shit about the crime. She was being a good little soldier. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were trying to get some to pin her to, and they realized that her and Tyria were a couple. So they leaned on more and asked her to uh, elicit a confession. Uh, and, hey, just say that you're going to go to prison if she doesn't confess to the crimes. Because as far as we know, you both did them. Yeah. Like, uh, and so that does. And that is, I will say, to the credit of the documentaries, that's like the saddest part. 
because they have the call, the recording of it, because it's made from jail. And um, Tyria basically says they're going to send me to prison unless, like, I need you to tell them yeah. that I didn't kill those men because I didn't. And yeah, uh, that's right. she, uh, like, yeah, Eileen does that out. And it's kind of the one semi-redeeming thing that she does. Not at all redeeming, but um, actually, but semi-good. You think is, she actually loved her? Yes. There, she often said, uh, to the end, she said, Ty's love of my life. And I feel very bad for dragging her into my shit. Um, she didn't say she had any remorse for the victims of their families. She actually had a really rough relationship because she, like, would yell in court and stuff. So so the trial didn't take uh, all that long at all because she was only tried for Vincent, for the first one, for Richard Mallory. Um, the rest were pled no contest. Um, so she pled not guilty to that because of the sexual assault angle, which nobody bought. Yeah. Um, so she is sentenced to death and then the rest of them, she gets six more, uh, death sentences. Um, she alleged on death row that she was being tortured by the guards. She said they were putting stuff in her food that was giving her headaches and, uh, they were putting like piss and like shit in her food. And that they were also playing... I think this was her paranoia. I think she was clearly not well. And mm-hmm. if you watch an interview with her, you can kind of tell there's something not right. Uh, honestly, um, 32 out of 40, not right. Uh, but uh, she uh, was talking about, like, there's these... They, they were playing sonic pressure. They were just playing these tones that were tightening my head. And they were doing it to drive me crazy. Like, specifically yeah. to punish me. I don't believe that for a second. Um, she also flip flops, uh, on her stories a lot. Uh, when she's sentenced to death, she says she freaked out at the judge saying like, you're sentencing a raped woman who defended herself to death. Um, and then she said for all, uh, the other ones in the documentaries, she said, I did a good thing cause I stopped, I stopped a lot of other people from getting raped and killed by killing those guys. I'm so sure she, yeah. So, but she flip flops, and then she'll eventually just say, "No, I just killed him." Like it wasn't self defense. So the first one, yeah, but I just killed him. And then she'll say, "The same." Nick, she flip flops like twice in the last in the Nick Broomfield thing, because then when she thinks the camera's off, she just goes, "I was just kidding. It was self defense for all of them." It's like, which the fuck one yeah, was it? She's crazy. Yeah, she just could not get it right. So finally. Eileen Warnos was executed on October the 9th, 2002, uh, by lethal injection down in Florida. And uh, her last words were as follows, and I quote, when asked, do you have any last words, Miss Warnos? Yes, I would just like to say I'm sailing with the rock and I'll be back like Independence Day with Jesus, June 6th, like the movie. Big mothership and all. I'll be back. I'll be back. Nice. Now I have to put on my Arrested Development narrator voice. Yeah. Eileen would not be back. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great show. That's 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 a great button on that. What a character Eileen would have been on Arrested Development. (laughs) She could have been a love interest for Michael. Yeah, there you go. He was. She would have straightened him out. Or uh, or Job. 
<laughs> oh yeah, Job would have been head over heels with her. She wouldn't have given him a second day. Oh, the one. Uh, oh fuck, I forgot the one big fun fact about this that uh, everybody loves to talk about. Apparently, for a while, when she was hitchhiking around real quick, there's a quick detraction. Uh, Eileen found her way into being kind of a groupie for some rock bands, and apparently, although the band denies it, apparently she got backstage. With the singers of the classic Slow Ride themselves, Fog Hat, <laughs> and apparently blew them all. That's so funny. So she didn't kill those guys. <laughs> she didn't Big kill fan of them. Before they kill, like, she, was just a, slow ride. she was just a young, loving groupie, you know? Loving it all. But that's the story of, of Eileen Warnos for you there, Matt. What'd you think? Um, I think that, yeah, that's. She's a. A crazy woman that has done terrible things and was, unfortunately, failed at suicide. Unfortunately, uh, six times. I don't know how you. That's that's a bad record. Yeah. Would love six, to say, Would yeah. love to play a game of golf against her. Almost tell you as what. Many, she, she almost she killed just as many times, or just a few times after she you know as. Almost, almost as many yeah, uh, as suicide, suicide attempts suicide, as, yeah. You know, like, yeah. For every time she could have she could have saved a life. <laughs> <laughs> for, oh. <coughs> it almost makes me feel bad, but not really. But, uh... It sucks. It yeah. sucks. She had a bad life. She didn't have yeah. a fucking snowball's chance in hell of a decent life. And it's that's the kind of the way that these stories all end, which makes it not a great way to end a podcast. It's just be like... Yeah, that's the story. Isn't it kind of a bummer? Yeah. <laughs> like, not... You do, like, a moment of silence for the victims or anything? It's, it's a good idea, but I haven't yet. <laughs> um, no, I'm not going to do that. I, di- I did take a bit of a pause after you asked me that. That was, that was the <laughs> moment of silence. Yeah, well, it was, a, it was an actual... You know it was the only actual moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> Like talk. Yeah, All these we're gonna... people are doing moments of silence. Where do we do a moment? We're just doing we did one. one because a moment is undefinable. It can be whatever I choose. Yep. Yeah. Well, but yeah, but... rest in peace to the victims. Rest in peace to the victims, of course. And I uh, hope the families are, are doing okay, uh, you know, because that's a hell of a hell of a burden to bear, I would imagine. But, yeah, this is, this is another episode of Murder Casserole. We talked about... The, 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 the golden child of Florida herself, Miss Eileen Warnos. It was a great time. It was great talking with you, Matt. Thanks for coming over and doing this. Uh, let, 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 let the listeners know what do you got going on. You get some shows coming up. Um, I run a I run a third Wednesday show at Haymaker called Couch Change with Elijah Mang, and I also Elijah run Mang. a riff mic that is starting in... 17 minutes. Oh, shit. At a limited IPA. We're going to get you out of here. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, thanks for coming by, man. Thank you, Colin. I love you. Love you, too.